Hey, John. Hey, Fallon. How's it going? Not bad. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So I have an idea. What is this idea, sir? I want to start a podcast. Why do you want to start a podcast? Oh, what a great question, John. Uh, You know what? I don't know. I mean, I've always wanted to have a podcast. And every time people see me with this ridiculous microphone, they're like, you should have a podcast. So, So clearly, I want to start a podcast. But why do you want to start a podcast? Uh, so over the last few months, I've been thinking a lot, uh, doing a lot of introspection because you know, what else do I have, uh, access to do during pandemic times? Um, and I came to the realization that, uh, my personal narrative about being a highly emotionally intelligent person is total, uh, crap. There we go. (laughs) Clearly, we're going to have to have a, a beeper, uh, a bleep for the podcast. Clearly, a beeper will be needed in the future. Um, total self-deception. I am not nearly as emotionally intelligent or aware or empathetic as I thought I was. Uh, through that process, a lot of books that I've been reading lately, um, some podcasts I've been listening to, people that I've uh, kind of admire that I know personally and professionally, um, I, I've come to have a greater appreciation and of kind of interest in people and the way that they approach uh, leadership, leading teams, building products, and kind of driving companies. In addition to that, go ahead. I know. I was just going to say, like, this is, you thought you were emotionally intelligent. The more you learned, the more you realized how much you didn't know. It's the whole Dunning-Kruger effect or whatever. Yeah, Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Uh, Yeah. And you've been on an you started an emotional intelligence journey in that trough. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm in the trough. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so through that process, and own, you know, personal self-reflection, uh, I've come to realize that there are the vast majority of businesses. This is business, business numbers. Is this working? Yes. Yay! I think have some semblance of a toxic work culture. Almost all of them, at least all the high performing like name companies, like household name companies, almost all of them have some semblance of a toxic work culture. I've experienced that in multiple not household name companies as well. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, So have I. Specifically, either they have something like uh, like high performance work culture, right? So assuming I was talking to a buddy of mine last night, he's helping me with a a side project of mine, and he's working at a, a very... It's a household name company, very data heavy. Um, he's a data scientist. And he was talking about uh, kind of the performance culture and how if he takes a personal day, he can get a pip because he's not holding up his end of the piano, quote unquote. Um, but they don't want to know what his issues are. And if he tells them his issues or why he wants to take a personal day, they just say, don't tell me you take a personal day. It's kind of a like catch 22, right? Uh, so he has this like constant fear, concern that he's uh, not performing according to what they want, but it's not super clear what it is. He just has to beat mm-hmm. out his peers. Like totally toxic, right? Like there's a lot of right. undermining and et cetera, et cetera. If not something like that, there's the whole hero, victim, villain triangle of either somebody's taking more blame than they should or trying to avoid blame politically or person just takes on a helpless role and says it's somebody else's fault and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, the benevolent version, like I said, the hero role is something like, oh, you know, it's my fault. I take all the blame, but give all the credit. That's also toxic and not sustainable. But that is a common approach many leaders take 
and it's touted as being good. Yeah, the whole thing is managers take the blame and and spread the credit. That's the that's the cliche. But but if you think about it, I mean, I've done that historically. I'm pretty sure you've done that historically. It's not sustainable, right? Yep. Eventually, you lose it, and you say, "Look, I've done da 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 da," and you right go off on something if you get pushed far enough. Like the whole model, the way it's built, and the assumptions that are like baked into the the approach are not really sustainable long term. And are not designed for a good, balanced, open, healthy work environment. How does that break? What is the failure mode? What does the failure mode look like? Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing is you have the hero, the villain, and the victim kind of triangle. And they're always on one axis or another. So they play the hero role long enough, and then they transition to the victim role. I've been doing XYZ thing, and I'm taking all this, and... I've done all this stuff and you guys aren't really working that hard. And right. If something eventually when one too many failures happens, they start attributing excess blame elsewhere. I've been doing all that when they, this, when they feel the heat. Your, right. You're not holding you know, up your end of the bargain. And if, even if they never vocalize it, eventually they just leave. Right. I'm burned out. I don't like this company. I don't like this. I don't like the environment. And so maybe it never gets talked about more often than not. I'd say it probably never does get talked about. There's no embarrassing breakdown. Right. Or, you know, show. But they just leave the company because they don't like the team or they're they're worn out or burned out from the work experience. Which, again, that's what I mean by not sustainable. Right. right. So this whole the whole idea is this. What I'm interested in about starting a podcast is doing a bunch of interviews, like 20-minute interviews on a regular basis uh, with different, let's say, product leaders. Uh, there's not a specific job function per se, but people in some role of leadership, not necessarily management, but some component of leadership in a company that has uh, a driving impact on a product-based company or function, right? Yeah. Uh, and speaking with them specifically about, uh, I'm, you're familiar with the the idea of like every person has three brains they can use in decision making, right? They're, yeah, the head, the heart, the gut, or the analytical, yeah. emotional, and whatever instinctual or yeah, you call it, yeah. Uh, so that that process, from my experience, many people only rely very very heavily on uh, the brain or the analytical, and possibly the gut. Or like the the you know self motivation identity whatever many different ways it's being described. Um, Data driven product management is clearly a head analytical focused thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but taking that and then the main component that is missing from my experience is the heart or the emotion. Having emotion at work is usually touted as bad. If you get angry, you're toxic or you're hyper aggressive. Mister McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Um, or if you get excited or sad, or you have some strong showing of emotion, if it's anything other than happy, or maybe if you're like scared of something happening, right? Some kind of risk aversion, uh, it's touted as being unprofessional. Right. But my, my kind of one of my big soapboxes, I guess you could say is if you want someone to be passionate about their work, which everyone seems to, that's something people want you got to expect that the rest of their emotions are going to come with them from time to time. Right. Like that's how you show up at work. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's messy and there's, you know, 
there's different components and facets and nuances to that. But I think when you're able to combine all three and include the emotional component um, in your decision making, and not just include it because it's included anyway. People make emotional decisions way more than they make rational decisions. That's been proven time and again by science. We're incredibly irrational beings, but we don't acknowledge that the emotion is a component of our decision-making process and the way that we lead and the way that we, we think. Uh, and by doing that, covering it up, we actually make innovation and growth and development and just enjoyment from being at work much harder than it has to be. So acknowledging it, bringing it to the forefront and incorporating the three and allowing them to be there um, and finding good examples of people who do that and how to do it better is really kind of the source of what I want to do for this podcast. I think that's super interesting. So this is some sounds a lot like stuff you and I have talked about before about sort of bringing your whole self to work mm -hmm. um, and how that can be like super, if done properly, like it can be super uh, inspiring to the team. Like they see you as an authentic, vulnerable, but whatever inspirational human being, that's generally a good thing. Now, I think there's, I have to go back and check and maybe we'll do, we'll do an episode on some book that talks about this. that's stuck in my brain right now that I can't remember which one it is. It talks about like, you can bring your whole self to work, but not have to bring your entire whole self to work. Mm. Um, certain parts of yourself, maybe you can keep for yourself. Like, you know, the fact that you're, you know, addicted to cat videos, maybe you can leave part of that at home or something far more nefarious, whatever. But like the managers that I've enjoyed working, leaders and managers I've enjoyed working with the most are people that became human to me. They, mm -hmm. they, were, they were people, not just the figure of leader. Take me to your leader. Yeah. Um, and in fact, the, what the, one of the greatest things that the pandemic and all the work from home stuff has done is humanized everyone that I work with because you see them in their natural environment. So they're a little bit, um, their guard is not up. The shield is down. Commit attack on the Death Star's main reactor. They're not in necessarily always in this like fully professional work mode. And then, uh, and this has been great with one of the uh, new people on the team, new leaders on the team, uh, like their kids come busting in from behind them. And all of a sudden they're not just a leader, they're a parent. And they can't, unless they're like super compartmentalizing, they cannot act the same way with their children that they do with their employees. So like you, ha you have to see them become a human, if that makes any sense. Anyway. Yeah, that does. But it humanizes these people, right? And I have valued the humanization of my coworkers a great deal because it makes, makes me feel more like they have been forced to bring their whole selves to work because their work became their home. Um, and now they're not just that engineer who does X anymore. So I think this is a really cool idea for a podcast. How do we want to do it going forward? What are some things we want to do? So for me, I think there's two types of episodes I would like to have on a consistent basis. One is interviews with people I consider exemplary in some area, or at the very least, some kind of catalyst or uh, event has occurred where I think they handled it very well. Uh, I would like to just have the conversation with them about how they applied emotional intelligence and how they were vulnerable, how they were open. Uh, and again, kind of for we can even just talk about those things, like have an episode where we talk about five or six leaders that we think that have been super inspirational 
Um, and then obviously aspirationally grab them, bring them on the podcast. But uh, I think yeah. the lessons, the lessons can be useful either way. But sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so either interviewing them or having a conversation about them. So let me say it differently. I think there's a two types of episodes. One is a practical application of examples of leaders in real life that we either know or know about um, that we can have conversations around or with uh, interview style or just you and I having conversation. And then the other part is the, um, what's the word? It's kind of educational aspect, the non-practical. What's, what's, you have the application. Academic, the maybe? Sure, academic, both academic. Uh, and then more of an academic approach or episode where we talk more about books, uh, theories, ideas, systems, and like the theoretical application or um, even the science behind some of this stuff. I do love science. Um, I think that's awesome. Do we? Uh, do you have a name in mind for this podcast of yours? Of ours? Um, yes. So, current working title would be something like "Stop Driving and Lead." The reason for the title, what it, what I mean by that, uh, there's a specific video by a person whose name I'll have to find again, uh, who talks about this specifically. It's on Simon Sinek's uh, YouTube channel. It only has like 400 views. Um, and he specifically talks about the difference between driving and leading and how driving usually involves an autocratic or dictatorial type of approach uh, where a person will kind of create all the ideas themselves. It's their idea. It's their function. They're doing all of the kind of strategy and decision-making work. And they see all other people on the team or in the company or et cetera in the, in the, the construct of this group working on this this product as levers, as assets, something they can move, something that's replaceable. They perform a particular function and he can kind of point and click or she can point and click and the person will just do the thing. Um, and treating them more as automatons and as people with um, intelligence, creative ideas and ability to contribute. Whereas someone who leads may not have the answers, has potentially a vision or an idea, um, or at the very least knows how to get that idea or create an idea from the group. It could be that the leader doesn't have an idea, they're not even sure what to do, but they do understand the value of collaboration and of um, working in a group to come up with the right type of, uh, to the answer to the, to the question, right? Yeah. This sounds fun. Um, we should definitely get working on this. <laughs> So yeah, let's uh, let's try to get together again and dig in on some of this stuff uh, next time. Sounds good. I'm excited about this. So am I. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Val. <laughs>